As a result, sometimes Anna will kind of project some of those things on me and be a little concerned, like this week when she called and said, hey, I opened up this chicken and it smells horrible and now we're not going to have chicken in our food for tonight, the thing that we're having. And it was stir fry, and so she's like, we're not going to be able to put that in there, are you okay with that? And I'm like, of course. But in her house, you have a meat, you have two vegetables, or multiple, and you have a starch, you know? And uh, it was just funny, it kind of cracked me up, because she was just saying, like, basically she would have just said, go run by and grab us some chicken, like I was working on this. Um, But it it is funny, like, you kind of grow up in a certain way, and um, if you're not careful... Uh, you, you will kind of carry that into whatever relationship. And you think, well, that's how this person thinks, and this is how this is supposed to be done. And we, you know, all probably do that at some level. It just made me think about that uh, that this morning. And I think it's important that we say, um, some of you, when I say God, um, the church, there are things that come into your mind. And we all have these kind of things that pop up in our heads. Uh, In this particular area, when I say Christianity, most people know at some level what I'm talking about. So I think it's important for us to say sometimes we need to back up. And when we hear those terms, stop and say, I got to define it. Got to make sure it's clear. I want to understand And some of you here this morning, I think you need to know, as I need to know, is that you you could have misconceptions about God and the way He works. And so it's important for us to do that because we can kind of start wanting to think God's thoughts for Him. We, We can start thinking like, well, I know He would like this. He may not have said it, but I know He would like it. Um, I like it, so I'm sure he likes it, you know, and you could craft God into your image, you know, and that's a dangerous thing that we need to consider when we're thinking about God, and so we are going to see amazing truths about God, and we're we're not going to try to project our thoughts upon him, but like say, who is he? I want to see him for who he is, and hopefully this morning, uh, that will be something that will help you. Now, David, remember, has been accepted as king. Jerusalem is now uh, David's uh, uh, home, and a house has been built for him. Um, This past week that we we were studying, the ark was brought in. And the ark was um, uh, brought into Jerusalem, and David had set a tent for it, and it's there. And the ark symbolized the presence of God among his people. This week... David is going to stop and consider the situation because God's given him rest. He's had a time to like just to sit there and consider and ponder. And as he thinks about it, sitting at his house, maybe he could see it from his house. He looks out there and thinks that tent will not do. God needs more than a tent to dwell in. And so today, we're going to be addressing the issue of when we're considering God and considering what He wants and what He's about, like, we have to be careful and say, okay, 
Who is our God? What is He doing? How does He communicate? Do we have to think of ways to serve Him? Or will He show us very clearly? And so hopefully you'll, you'll see that as we go through um, David's longing to build the Lord a temple, a house, a place to dwell. He is stopped and the Lord in turn will build David a house is what he says. So let's look at these, these issues or these areas where we would say, oh yeah, I maybe didn't think of God that way. Again, you're saying take these truths about our covenant Lord and put them to memory. One is wisdom, another, second is humility, third is grace, four is his consistency or constancy. And so those are four things that I think will be helpful as we move through this text. Let's start in chapter uh, 7 verse 1. And through verse 5, what you see is kind of what I just mentioned. The enemies, he's at rest. He has no one to fight. I remember a number of years ago being in a situation where I was watching these leaders that I thought they had been so used to war, like um, the absence of war didn't seem to work well with them. It didn't sit well with them. So instead of like uh, stopping and saying, okay, the Lord's given us a time of rest, they stirred up crazy stuff. She would say he's an energetic man, he's a driven man, he's longing to bless the Lord, and he looks at this situation and says, sitting by Nathan the prophet, you know, I think the Lord needs a house. I've got this beautiful house, he needs a house. Nathan... Again, using wisdom, you would think, just thinking, he's the prophet of the Lord. He hears from the Lord, speaks to David. But maybe before he even inquired of the Lord, just says to David, do whatsoever is in your heart. That's a good thing. Go do that. That sounds like a great idea. But after he tells him that in verse 4, Nathan goes to bed that night, and little did he know, a messenger would speak to him. The Lord came to him and said, Go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Will you build me a house to dwell in? It's, it's a way of stopping him. Have you ever had somebody do that? They waited and waited and waited and asked one question. That's this here. He asked him a question, Will you build me a house to dwell in? It's just a way to stop and say, Hold on just a second. He's going to unpack this as we go forward, but like, are you really sensitive to what the Lord is leading you to do? Are you seriously considering what the Lord has planned? Or are you wanting to do something for Him without maybe asking Him? It is important to say just about this is that David is not an average man with an average income, Right? David is a uniquely gifted man, uniquely uh, assigned man as a king. He is set aside for a unique task of leading a country. And if he desired to do that, he could make that happen unless the Lord just completely stopped it. But again, the Lord's going to stop him to consider and say, David, your plans, he's not saying like your plans are bad. That's sometimes about it. But like when you have plans and you grip them, you know, don't grip them so tightly that you're not willing to say, if the Lord changes that, I'm good with that. 
Some people will be, have you ever heard somebody say, the Lord said to me. I'm always like, ah, stop. Because then next week you're going to say, the Lord said this, and it's going to contradict that. Be quiet, you know. But, but it's just like, instead, maybe you would say, I desire to do this. And if the Lord grants that I can do it, that's great. But I'm holding it with a loose grip. So he doesn't have to grab my fingers and pry them off what I'm holding on to so strongly, right? Because that's not going to feel very good. He's stronger than I am, you know? And so we're looking at this and we just say, okay, the Lord's wisdom is the thing that we're really after. And our best laid plans in our wisdom it's not, and again, there's some people that think of the Christian life as there's no wisdom involved. Uh, I'll just do what I think is uh, um, whatever the Lord is telling me to do, and I'm just going to do that. And it's like the Lord guides his people through multiple times, I mean, all throughout uh, Scripture. The, I mean, there's an emphasis on our abilities to understand and think and, and, and consider things, but at the end of the day, we just have to be very careful not to want to say, oh, I'm just going to do this. The Lord must be in it. His wisdom and timing, both of those things are perfect. And I, I, that, again, I am so impatient. Oh, my goodness. Like, I'll think, that's a great idea. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to accomplish it. And this is just one of those reminders that there's only one who is all wise and all knowing. And he is reigning supreme over the universe. And the way in which he is working out his plan with his people. Number two, the second thing, the Lord is humble. And his purposeful humiliation is emphasized here. Verse six and seven. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought the people of Israel out of Egypt. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved... With all people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, again, it's not the, the building of the house is not wrong. But he's just trying to reiterate to him, like, the Lord directs this thing. The Lord has the plan. The Lord is accomplishing, accomplishing his plan. Nobody's disregarded anything I've said. I've never said, Hey, you build me this. I, I'm, the Lord demonstrates really the counter nature of things. What, what most people thought was, we got to please these gods, so I'm going to build this temple to make him think we think he's a, a worth something, and then he'll help us out. He'll help us out along the way. That would be kind of the natural way of thinking. But here, we're like when we're looking at this, you're saying, this God is dwelling among those people. He's going where they're going. He, he is going alongside of them. He's out there in the tent. He's not separated from them. He's out there in the tent as they're traveling around as wanderers. He is out there. That's the kind of God He is. He like lays aside all of His glory and, and dwells among the people in a tent. It's what he's been doing. And David doesn't like that. Once he's a, 
like God needs a place to. And I don't think that's a wrong thought. But the Lord, again, is just helping him see that that may be a good thought, but that may not be. It's not the right time. God's going to do that. It just wasn't the right time. But one of the things you do see about him is you say, the Lord is not like, like in a, like, you need people to think you're great. That's not the God we're talking about. He doesn't need people to think we're great as if he is like trying to build his ego because he, I mean, he truly is great. You know, you ever met somebody that like, I don't know, have done something great and they don't have to kind of go around like puffing out their chest, showing you, you know, like they don't have, God is not here when we see this, like he, I think you do see him in this place where you're like, whoa, in the same way when Jesus came on the scenes, your natural response is, oh, he's the son of David, he's the eternal son of God, he is the Messiah that was promised to come. Like your natural thing would be like, wouldn't he be in the highest places of honor? Like wouldn't he be the great decision maker? And instead you're seeing him walking in a lowly way among the people. Just doesn't, doesn't fit very well in our minds. We wouldn't make up a God like this. It's kind of the picture, I think, that we would see. We also see, so we see his wisdom, we see this humiliation, we see his grace. Verse 8, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture. What's he saying? I did it! I rescued you from just living your life in a, in a way that was not like really a, 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 an amazing way for God's glory, I guess you might say, I don't know. But you're saying like, God did this. He graciously did this. I pulled you up. I raised you up from this place. Verse 9, I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. You, I've been graciously uh, working all along the way. You've experienced that. Second Samuel 4, 9. It says, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of all adversity. That's David speaking. He is saying, the Lord's rescued me from all adversity. He understood that. And the Lord's reminding him of his grace towards him. Chapter 5, verse 12 says, And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. It's like he's not only raised him up, but he's delivered him. So you're saying like, this is a gracious God. This is not a God that's like, David, when you deserve it. Sometimes I'll think about that with somebody's marriage. It's like, what happens is we have two, a couple here, a man and a woman, who are constantly saying, does he deserve it? Does she deserve it? Does he deserve it? Does she deserve it? And they're constantly thinking in those terms. And in this situation, you're saying, God is saying, look, David, you experience grace because I chose to show you grace. He was merciful to him. He blessed him. This past week at the dinner table, a couple of nights in a row, we recounted 
the Lord's work in our lives. There was a time where I thought I needed to go to seminary, but how could I afford to? We discussed with the, the boys God's provision in that regard. And there were some thing, complications, and we thought, are we going to be able to have children? And we started exploring all these things, and, and a doctor called us and said, hey, Anna has this issue, we can address it in this way. And then we had one child, and the second child comes, and they gave uh, Anna, you know, the first ultrasound came, and um, it, it was Ben, and they had the first ultrasound, and we just kind of walked out of there. We knew it was a boy. And then the doctor calls with tears in his, like, voice. You could hear, it, you know, there were tears in his eyes, kind of, and his voice was kind of really soft, and he's like, I've never seen anything quite like this. And the doctor basically uh, said his brain was not forming properly. I mean, it was, like, really, really not going to be good. And we recounted to our boys God's grace in our lives, how he was gracious to us. And then Ben was fine, of course, but we, we can look back and see that. So we could say to ourselves, hey, listen, let me tell you what the Lord is like. Can I explain that to you just real quickly? Here's his wisdom. His wisdom transcends our wisdom. Look at the Lord. He, he is not, it's not like below him to come down with us and humble himself. And then we could say, as a family this last week, look at the ways God has been gracious to us. We're not taking credit for all that. We're just saying, look at what, I'm not saying, I do not, we don't sit there and say, we're really good and so God's good to us. What if I said that? Because we've been so good, God's been good to us. That how that works? If that's how that works, then you basically don't need Jesus, right? That's how it works. You just save yourself. You can stand separated from say, don't bring Jesus up here. I'll stand before the judge of the universe and bring to him all the great things that I've done and let him decide whether I'm acceptable. I don't think anybody in here would be foolish enough to say something like that. So we're saying. God is gracious. He encounters us with His grace. He shows us His grace. And then you see here, He promises grace. The end of verse 9 through 11. And I, you see that? that? That reminds you of Abraham and the promises given to him. God, promised, uh, God promises here to make David's name great. It's like His name will go down in history. And he will be known as the greatest king, you could maybe say, of Israel. You know, in that time, you just look back and say, oh, remember David, remember David, remember David. And that's what we do. We remind ourselves of the, that. The Lord also promises a place for them. A place for them to lay their head. A place for them to, to live in the blessing that he has promised them. Verse 11 says, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you um, that the Lord will make you a house. He's going on and saying, listen, I'm not just blessing you in the present. I'm going to bless you in the future. And I'm, it, it's, gonna, it's, it's going to impact people throughout the ages. 
I'm going to make you a house. Uh, it's funny, David wanted to make a physical house. Uh, the Lord is going to make a, a, a people of David. It's gonna, he's going to grow a people out of him. When you think about the Lord's grace in the life of uh, his people, Psalm 23 is one that stands out to you. He, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, a place, right? He leads me beside still waters, a place. He restores my soul. He, he, he is with us. He is guiding us. He is directing us. If you're a Christian here today, you've experienced grace. And you are looking forward to the fullness of that. The fullness. We're looking forward to an, an eternal. Somebody said, what is God like? Tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. What is he like? Well, he's, he's infinitely wise. You know? He, he humbles himself to dwell down among his people. He goes with them. He is gracious. He shows grace to people. He, he, he's a, a rescuing God. He, he is one who um, dem has demonstrated grace all the way through. You could say, listen, if I'm looking at salvation history from Genesis to Revelation, I would say there is this Lord over creation. He created it. That man rebelled. They're under God's wrath and curse because this holy creator who is Lord over his universe, they rejected him. And then he made a promise, I will bless, I will redeem, I will save, I will rescue a people for myself. So we see his grace throughout. And the last thing you see is, as one, uh, I believe Davis noted, his constancy. How long do you think the memory of your existence will last? <laughs> right? How long? You say, I want it to last a long time. I, I, I want to make sure that it... it I, I want to know that there was a mark, something that I did, something in my life that could, to, could remind people that and sometimes in a good way, I just want to be like, I want to make sure I pass down something to the future, of, to, their, to, build their, to build a heritage, to have a future of some sort. David is, is presented with something really, really powerful here. And I think when you look at verses 12 through 16, you're going to see that. That God is not making a promise that he will not keep. And you say, well, hold on just a second. Could stuff really frustrate that? I mean, if, if, the, if it could, Israel would have done that. The kings would have done that, right? Look at verse 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, it's almost like David could say, what about when I die? Are, are these promises going to stand? I know I'm not going to live forever. He says, when you lie down, I will raise up from your offspring after you. Something from your body. I will establish 
the kingdom. So he's saying, I'm going to give you a son. And that son is going to carry this forward. Not only that, he's going to build a house for my name. And I will establish his, the throne of his kingdom forever. What's he saying? This promise I'm making is not just for you. It's for people after you. I'm going to establish God is consistently accomplishing his plan regardless. Death doesn't defeat God's plan. It doesn't. And I have to be reminded of that. And you have to be reminded of that. What God is doing, his promise through this kingdom to establish it forever, it will not be shaken by death. Even when the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, the, the fulfillment of David, even Him, even when He was crucified, we, we don't say like, death won. Because what? On the third day, He rose again from the grave. Now you might say, well, hold on just a second. What about just people sinning? Could that mess it up? Look at verse 14 and 15. When he commits, the son commits iniquity, I will discipline him. And with the stripes of the sons of men, he's going to do so. With the rods of men, he will do so. Verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it away from Saul. You say, what does that mean? It means that God's promise to David is not, does not, it's not contingent upon whether or not the kings after him are faithful to God. Because it's a promise. It is a, it, it is a promise that God is making and that God is keeping. That, that's what he says. So it's important for us even to consider, I think, sometimes when you say, could my standing with God be, be totally destroyed because of a sin I committed? Can I be right with Him? Could I ever know that the promises of God could be applied to me? But you don't, you, you don't know about that sin. And I, and I would just say to you, listen, God's promise to save those who put their trust in Jesus Christ is not, well, if they never sin again, they'll get this. Verse 16, what about the issue of time? You kind of think, how long? How long does this promise last? Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom forever. How long? Forever. Come on, forever. Are you sure? Forever. Do you know that? Yeah, yes, Forever. But it seems, that, that, that just doesn't seem possible. No, it's forever. Come on, Jared. What does the text say? It says, forever. When he made that promise to David, it was forever. His kingdom would last forever. And death and sin and time... It's not going to take that promise away. It's forever. God's not going to get dementia. 
It is forever. God's not going to die. It's forever. And when you look at this and you think about it and you think, can you believe that God would do this? That David, this man who really is already growing in gratitude as he has throughout his life, but as he reflects on it, he's thinking like, the Lord needs something better from me. And the Lord comes in and sweeps in and says, you tell David this. The Lord is not, He doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from you. Now, if you willingly want to bless the Lord, of course, we, most of the time, this is a unique situation, I, I would say do it. Do it. Yes, let gratitude grow in your heart and do it and bless and serve. But here, it's almost like you have to stop and say, our covenant Lord, in His perfect timing, He's executing His plans flawlessly. The, our covenant Lord is humble. He's not always saying, make much of me, make much of me, make much of me. Our covenant Lord is gracious. And He is not one where you have to say, and fourth, He is constant. He will never go back on one promise. And you say, Jared, what is this good? Is this good for us? Why is this good for me? Why is it good? Because that promise to David that that kingdom would be established forever finds its fulfillment in Jesus, our King, who we look to and say, is your kingdom strong? Yes. Is your kingdom secure? Yes. Will your kingdom ever end? No. Can we put hope in the promise of a future? Yes. When, we, when we've been there 10,000 years, is it, is it going to still be standing? Yes! What about 10 million? What about 10 trillion? Yes! So you say, this promise of a king, of a kingdom, of a place, of an eternal weight, this promise that's made, it will be kept forever and ever and ever. Nothing can destroy it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, for Your wisdom, for Your guidance, for Your direction, for Your provision, for Your promises, for the hope that we have. We pray our, our, our heart knowing that what you say will come to pass and that we have hope, not a temporary hope, but an eternal hope in the Lord Jesus Christ who came and saved us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.